Uh, good morning. We are starting a new series today, and it's called From the Inside. And if you've been with us for the past five or six years, you know that we've been going through the book of Luke. And when we finished Luke, we had to go to the sequel, which is called the book of Acts. And we are finally at the final stretch of the book. We are in the last few chapters. This is the last series that we're going to be, talk- we're, we're going, to be going through in the book of Acts. We're going to be looking at chapters 21 through 28. And we're calling it from the inside because from this point on, the main character of this sec- section of the book of Acts, his name is Paul, Paul the Apostle. You've probably heard of him. He uh, is uh, arrested, and he goes into the depths of evil. And as he's going in there, you know, when you think about starting like a Jesus movement, you don't, you know, we think like, let's go to a retreat somewhere far away, or let's go to some family camp over there, or let's go to some remote place. We think about doing these good things apart from evil. But Paul, what he does is that he goes right into the heart of evil because he thinks that that's the best place for something like this to take root. So that's what we're calling it from the inside. As we go deeper and deeper into the series, we'll see more and more of those, those, those themes pop up. But today, we are only looking at a small section, which is Acts chapter 21. There we go. Verses uh, 1 through 36. And uh, it, this, this section is like an introduction to the whole series. So we're going to start off by asking this question, because this is a question I believe is being addressed in this section of Acts 21. And this is this. How does a church stick together when it is composed of massive diversity? You know, what's weird about this thing is that as we read the book of Acts, we see the church growing. It's getting bigger and bigger. More and more people are coming in. And the more and more that people are coming in, we discover that the people that we don't expect to be a part of the church end up in the church. So, for example, uh, there's a group of people living north of Jerusalem. These people, uh, they're considered to be compromisers. These people are like, they're not fully Jewish, but they, you know, like they intermarried and all that kind of stuff. They joined the movement early on, you know, and then they find like this Ethiopian eunuch, which in that culture, a eunuch is somebody that has no sexuality, not neither male nor female, non-binary. And he joins the movement. And then there's like this guy named Simon Magus, who's like practicing the dark arts. And he's like, I'm going to let go of that. And I'm going to join the movement. And then Paul goes on these journeys all around the world. And these people that you would least expect to join the movement, they join the movement. And that's cool, right? These are, this is good news. But at the same time, they're like, wait a minute, you have a very different background than I do. You (laughs) used to worship something that, you you eat stuff that we are not allowed to eat. Like you guys celebrate holidays that we don't know anything about. How do all these people get along? You see, up until now in this story, these people were living in their own areas, right? So they didn't have to intermingle or anything. But what happens when you actually come together and they realize like, we really don't have anything in common. <laughs> and you're going to see the ugliness of it. So this whole idea of a church splitting or a church fighting internally, it goes back 2,000 years, guys. It's not a new thing. So um, just for those of you guys are joining us and you're like, we don't know what's been going on in the book of Acts. I never read the Bible, although I tell people I do. I'm going to give you a quick recap as to what's been going on in the book of Acts. So Paul, the main character, he used to be a, a, a religious zealot. He wanted to make sure that everybody followed the rules of God. But he had this experience with Jesus, and since then, he's like, I need to go tell people about this, because basically the new message that he received was this message of, there's a new way of connecting with God. Up until now, I thought you had to follow these rules to follow and connect with God, but now you're telling me that there's a new rule in town. So, and we'll talk about more, more about this as we move into the story. So here's a quick map as to what's been going on. Paul, he decides, he starts in a place called Antioch, 
And from here, he goes on his first missionary journey. He goes on a boat, goes around this island, he goes north, and then he goes to this place called Pisidian Antioch, and then he turns right and goes to Iconium, Lystra, then Derby. and he, once he's there, he's like, I'm gonna go back and check out the churches of this planet. So he goes back to Lystra, goes to Iconium, goes to Antioch, uh, Pisidian Antioch, goes south, and then he's like, you know, I think it's time for a little detour, so he goes a little here, and then he follows the shore and goes back home to Antioch, and he's telling everybody, guys, something amazing happened. I went here because I wanted to talk to the Jews that lived outside of Israel, but when I told them the new way that we could connect with God, they didn't like the message. But the people who heard me, you know, the people who were not Jewish, they were the ones who were like, hey, we want in on that. It's like, that's cool, yeah, that's really cool. It's like, I need to go again. I'm gonna go check on the churches that just planted. So he goes on his second trip. So next slide. So from Antioch, again, this is the context, this is Mediterranean Sea. So from Antioch, he goes north this time, and then he goes and visits those churches, this is Galatia, and he crosses over for the first time into Europe, plants the first church, European church in Philippi. He goes to Thessalonica, Berea, goes to Athens and you know Greek culture there. Then he goes to this really crazy town called Corinth. If you were here for that, that was interesting. And then he goes back and goes to Ephesus. And after that, he goes back down here to Jerusalem. And then he goes back to Antioch. And that was his second missionary journey. And there's some really interesting stuff that happened in this one, the second journey. In this one, Paul discovers that like, hey, you know, this is, there's all these rules that I thought I was bound to, but now these rules don't apply to me. I could do a lot more for God than I thought I could before. Like, Remember the first church he planted in Europe? It was led by women. And up until that culture, if you come from a Jewish background, that was like a big no-no. And like, it's happening, right? And he goes to like these Greek cities and he's like hanging out with people that he wasn't allowed to mingle with before. And they're listening to what he has to say about God. Like these guys are like, Paul's like, this is so crazy. You know, and he stopped by Jerusalem, right? And that was the place where he met with the original 12 disciples. Well. Judas killed himself, so, but they replaced the 12th guy, right? He's talking and saying, this, this, guys, you have to see what I've seen so far. Amazing stuff, like God is on the move. And they're like, yes, we're with you, Paul. We agree with you, this is cool. So now, Paul's like, I need to go on my third trip. So next slide. So again, starting from Antioch, he goes north again, he goes and visits all those places. He stops here at Ephesus, stays there for three years, and then he goes up to the places he was before, and then he decides, I need to go back, so he goes back. And then he stops here. Now, this place is called Troas. The reason why this, I'm stopping here on this journey for right now is because Troas is a place where he gets this little revelation. Like the book of Acts doesn't really tell us exactly what that revelation was, but he realizes that this might be the end of his life. Like he comes to this realization like, I think this might be my last trip. Like I think you know, people, scholars think that maybe he was praying one day and the Holy Spirit said, hey, Paul, he starts saying your goodbyes. And so starting from Troas, he starts telling people, hey, this is the last time I'm gonna see you. And people get emotional, they start crying and they pray for him, right? And we also discover another thing around this part of the trip, that he actually had another reason why he was making these travels. He found out that his friends in Jerusalem, well, they were starving because there was this big famine. And so as he was going to these non-Jewish places, he was asking them, if they would contribute to this fund so they could help their brothers and sisters back in Jerusalem, which is mind-blowing. And the reason is because the people who live in Jerusalem, they're Jewish, obviously, right? And for a very, very, very long time, they've been exclusive. Like, they're like, we don't want to touch anybody that is not like us. These people they've been pushing out are now saying, we want to give you money so that you can survive. So it's like very humbling. So 
at Troas, he disco we discovered how, um, he's like, yeah, this might be my last trip. And so we moved from Troas, and we moved on, uh, next slide. So, and then he goes through here, and then um, he makes it all the way back. He goes to a place called Tyre, and then he goes to a place called Caesarea, and it's, and, or Caesarea, or whatever you want to call it. Caesarea is a place, another interesting thing happens. Along this trip, he also meets these prophets. And these prophets are warning him, hey, Paul, where you're going right now is dangerous. I was praying last night, and the Holy Spirit told me that you're going to experience some, some crazy persecution. So maybe you should turn around. And Paul's like, I got the same vision as you did, man, and I'm going to keep going. There's this one interesting story about this, this prophet who shows up at his door, and he takes Paul's belt, right? And he ties his arms and his feet together, and he's like, all right, time to prophesy. The Lord told me that the way I'm bound right now is going to happen to the person that this belt belongs to, to which everybody's like, that's Paul's belt. You know, it's like, yes. But he's like, I'm going to still go. So next slide. So from here, and he brings a few of his friends from Caesarea down, and he finally gets to Jerusalem. And this is where the story takes place. So you're caught up now. This is what's been going on. And you're going to discover something really interesting, because you think that the big trouble that he's going to face are like, the Roman army or whatever, right? The biggest threat that he faces in this part of the passage is actually a group of people that did not expect to be against Paul. Okay, let's look at the verse. When we arrived, and he says we because Luke, the biographer who's writing this story, he's now part of the group now. When we arrived at Jerusalem, the brothers and sisters received us warmly. The brothers and sisters that they're talking about are the 12 disciples. Remember, minus one, plus one? Okay. The next day, Paul and the rest of us went to see James and all the elders were present. Okay, so James is the leader of the apostles now. Before it was Peter, but Peter was arrested and now he's in hiding, so now James is in charge. He's the half-brother of Jesus, so his, he checks out, right? Next slide. Paul greeted them and reported in detail what God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. When they heard this, they praised God. Paul's like, yeah, you, can't, you won't believe it. I went here and people said yes to Jesus. I went over there and the people over there were excited to learn about Jesus. Oh, when I went over there, they were excited. And like, they were like just sharing stories about how many, many people are now tearing down these racial barriers and loving on one another in the name of Jesus. And they're like, this is so cool. Oh, and by the way, this is another great thing. All these people who you guys shunned in the past few hundred years, they started donating money to you so that you don't have to experience this famine alone. Like, they're here to help you guys. They're so generous. And here the, here's the gift that they, they gave me to give to you. And that's so cool, right? So here's a quick um, summary of what's been going on. So we have Paul over here, who looks like, my, my wife is like, that looks like Baymax. <laughs> my version of Paul looks like Baymax. Okay, so Paul, okay, He's been reaching out to the non-Jewish Christians, like the people he's gathered along the ride are the non-Jewish Christians, and they have very little understanding of the Bible. They didn't grow up going to Sunday school or, or Sabbath school or whatever they called it back then, right? They, they, you know, like if somebody were to say, why should I do this? And another person says, because the Bible says so, they're like, that Bible has no authority in my life. Like, these guys don't understand, like, who's Abraham? Noah? Who's Noah? I don't know, right? Like, but okay, but he's sharing these stories about how these people who have no background in Yahweh, you know, religion, they're saying yes to Yahweh now. They're saying, yes, if this means that we could love more people and that we could bring more heaven on earth, sign me up. And Paul's sharing these great stories. But in his stories, 
Well, there's some things in there that are a little stressful, okay? And this is a scholar N.T. Wright. This is what he says about this. He said, the apostles might well have found their anxiety levels rising. Well, why is that? Because riots in Antioch, stoning in Lystra, beatings in Philippi, more riots in Thessalonica, run out of town in Berea, like wherever Paul goes, there's good responses, right? But then he's also bringing some chaos along with them. Next slide, continue. Uh, court cases and anti-Jewish violence in Corinth, and then that little escapade with 25,000 chanting pagans in Ephesus. Next slide. So what do we think is likely to happen now that he's back in Jerusalem, the epicenter of Jewishness, right? A Sunday school picnic? No, right? So they're like, Great news, Paul. All the stuff that you said would happen is happening. This is good. More and more people are following Jesus. That's wonderful. But it concerns me that wherever you go, like when you re- talk to the Jewish population of Lystra or Iconium, they shun you and they try to fight back. But when it comes to the Gentiles, they're very well receiving. And as a matter of fact, in his second missionary journey, wherever he went, there's a group of Jews that followed him wherever he went to undo the things that Paul just did. So Paul would go to this church, and he's like, job well done. He goes to the next church, and then the group of Jews will follow to that church and then undo everything that Paul did. Eventually, they caught up with Paul, and they tried to cast him out. So like, yeah, we're a little nervous. Good news, but we're nervous that uh, you, you're bringing with you a lot of chaos. So let's go on with the story. Then they said to Paul, you see, brother, how many thousands of Jews have believed and all of them are zealous for the law? So what does he mean by this? Okay, next slide. So if the summary here for Paul was non-Jewish Christians meant that they're very little understanding of the Bible, we're talking about the other group of Christians that's led by James. And James, he converted a bunch of, next slide, Jewish Christians. We have a bunch of Jewish Christians now and their identity is wrapped around the Bible. So now we have two different groups of Christians, right? While Paul was out there reaching out to people who knew nothing about the Bible, James and his posse, they're hanging out in Jerusalem, reaching out to the people there, and there's thousands of people there now who know the Bible, who are extremely excited about the Bible, and, and now they're like, yeah, we wanna be Christians also. So now we have Paul, who represents all the people who don't know anything about the Bible, but they call themselves Christians, and now he's in the epicenter of a place where there are a bunch of Christians who say that know everything about the Bible and that they want to implement everything that's in the Bible, right? So they're kind of getting nervous. Why? Next, next verse. They have been informed that you teach all the Jews who live among the Gentiles to turn away from Moses, turn away from the Bible, basically, telling them not to circumcise their children or live according to their customs. It's like, there's been rumors going around, Paul, that you are anti-Old Testament, or at the time there's the only Testament, so you're anti-Bible. We, some people overheard you while you're going around those other cities. People overheard you talking about how you don't have to follow the rules of the Old Testament, especially that one about circumcision. Tell us it's not true, Paul. And Paul's like, oh, well, it's kind of true. I've been telling people that there is a new way of connecting with God. And that new way of connecting with God is that all the 600 plus laws in the Old Testament, you don't have to follow them anymore. So Paul, are you anti-Bible now? No, 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 no. So there's this tension now. There's this guy who represents the, you don't need the Old Testament guy coming into this place where that says, no, we're all about the Old Testament. Right, and you can almost feel the tension in the room and there's a riot that's right around the corner, right? So the question here is this. How do you resolve tension in the church that arise due to cultural differences? 
because this is very cultural. These people who say yes to Jesus outside of Jerusalem, these people accepted Jesus not knowing anything about the Bible, and that was normal for them. And now they're coming into the, the epicenter of Judaism, and they're expecting all Christians to conform to their way of worshiping God. How do you resolve that tension? Do you basically tell them, okay, everybody, here's a copy of the Bible. Printing press wasn't invented yet. But it's like, here's a copy of the Bible, or go to your nearest synagogue and just listen to sermon after sermon after sermon. You know, memorize verses. Like, what do we do with these people? Who's right, who's wrong? Like, if I were to tell them, you should do this because the Bible says so, they'll be like, that means nothing to us. The Bible has no authority in my life. What are they supposed to do with this tension, right? So here's a little diagram, okay? If this yellow line represents the church, right? And there's Jews on one side and the non-Jews on the other side. What they're trying to figure out is how Jewish should this new movement be, right? Should we implement more and more Bible or should we not implement more and more Bible? Like, where is it? And like, where is the place that God wants us to be? Like, how much should we compromise on either side and where do we find that middle ground? And right now, you guys probably have your own opinions about this, right? Right? You're thinking like, oh, well, the Bible is the most important thing in Christianity, so I think it should go all the way, tip the scale, in one, complete, complete on one end, right? But the other, some of you guys are like, but I don't read the Bible, and I would much rather not. And so, I, you know, like, where, like, but I love Jesus. What am I supposed to do? And this isn't just about the Bible, guys, okay? What about music? Like, oh, I love loud music. Oh, I, don't, I like hymnals and it has to be organ or I think electric guitar should not be played in church or whatever, right? It's like, where do we find that middle ground? How do we resolve that cultural tension? And this is the exact same question that was asked by the first century church. And so the apostles are like, yeah, what are we supposed to do? Next verse. What shall we do? They will certainly hear that you have come, so do what we tell you. We have a plan for you, Paul. This is what you gotta do. This is how we're gonna resolve this tension. Let's see if, this, if it's a good idea or not. Okay, just because it's in the Bible doesn't mean it's a good idea. Let's see what it says. There are four men with us who have made a vow. A vow? Yeah, a vow. There's a vow called, like when you say a vow or the vow, they're t- usually talking about this thing called the Nazarite vow. The Nazarite vow is one of the high, you could find a number six if you want to read it for yourself, but it's one of the highest level vows that you could take as a Jewish person. Okay, like it's a self-inflicted Vow, meaning no one could tell you to do it. You could only tell yourself to do it. And it requires a lot of prayer, a lot of devotion. Um, you have to avoid funerals because you're not allowed to touch anything dead or be around them. And usually back then, the people didn't die in hospitals. People died in homes. And usually it happened un- un- unexpectedly, right? So that means you have to live outside of your own home, right? You're not allowed to touch anything that's grape or wine. So there goes all your celebration, right? So you can't be a part of parties anymore. You're not allowed to get haircuts, um, that's why people will know that you're on this vow. And there's like certain foods you're supposed to avoid, right? There's so many rules here, and it's the greatest form of a vow you could take if you follow the Old Testament, right? And he's like, hey, Paul, because our Christians here in Jerusalem are so all about the Old Testament, and they want to prove themselves to each other that how serious they're about the Old Testament, we have four guys here who are taking the vow right now. And what I want you to do, Paul, is I want you to sponsor them, like join in on their vow, right? So then... Um, People will know that you're all about the Bible. You're all about the law. You're, you're 100% Jewish, right? So he said, take these men, join in their purification rites, and pay their expenses so that they can have their heads shaved. That's how you end the vow, right? It's like, just take them through the last section of their vow, and then people will be like, 
I knew, Paul, you were part of our group, right? That's, that was the apostle's plan. This is what you gotta do. He's like, if you do this, then everyone will know there is no truth in these reports about you, but that you yourselves are living in obedience to the law. Now, Paul's in a weird predicament here because outside of Jerusalem, he's been telling everybody, the law is optional, guys. It's all about Jesus now, right? Jesus has a new law, and that law is to love others as Christ has loved you. And if you could get that down, it's like all the other laws just fall into place. So he's like, he's been telling everybody, like, you don't need to follow the law of the Old Testament. You follow the law of Christ, and then you are set, right? And all of a sudden, like, the, the, the apostles are like, yeah, so Paul, you want everybody to know how serious you are about the Old Testament, so just do this with us, please, just do it. And then Paul's like, yeah, okay, I, that'll, okay I, I'll do what you want me to do, but I have visitors here. When I stopped at Caesarea, they follow me here. They're Gentiles. They can't take the vow. It's like, okay, well, as for the Gentile believers, that's with you, Paul, right now, we have written to them our decision that they should abstain from food, sacrifice to idols, that's one thing, next, from blood, and the meat strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. So this is referring back to a few chapters in Acts chapter 15, where the apostles and Paul got together and said, what should we do about all these other people who are not Jewish? And they said, well, let's ha- you know, we, we understand that they don't like to follow the law, and that's okay, but let's have them meet us halfway there. So let's just have them do these four things. You don't have to follow all the 600 plus laws, just do these four things. Sexual immorality, don't you know, touch blood or eat, drink blood, you know, don't eat meat that are sacrificed to idols. Just, you know, and the Gentiles are like, yeah, we, we agree with that. So, like, so Paul, you and your party, make sure that they just follow those four rules. Okay, so in case you're confused now, because there's a lot going on, here's the diagram again. And this is what's going on, okay? If this is the church, they're wondering how Jewish or how non-Jewish should you be now that these two groups are mingling together. Okay, so next slide. So ideally you would think in the middle, right? We'll meet in the middle somewhere. We'll have like two Jewish songs and two Gentile songs and then uh, we'll, um, uh, we won't have ham because they probably won't like that, but we'll also have, you know, like they're probably, probably trying to find a middle ground. But then you could also imagine the Jewish people who are like totally into the Bible are like, okay, next slide. Like, no, the Bible is important. We need to push our agenda even more because how do you call yourselves a Christian if you're not following the Old Testament rules? Like God gave us rules, we're supposed to follow them, right? So middle, no, no, that's, that's compromising. We need to push it a little bit more this way. And the people over here are like, no, 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 next slide. We need to push more back this way. Don't you wanna see more people come to Jesus? In Acts 15, didn't we all agree that we should make it as easy as possible for these people to join this, this movement of Jesus, right? And your laws are actually in the way. So the question that they had to answer was this, big question mark. Where do we draw the line? Where is God, where does God want us to be, right? Should we play loud music or something? Okay, well, let's do two slow music, two songs, and then two fast songs. And the last song we can make it really loud because, you know, we want to get emotional or something, right? Like, let's do that. Like, where do we draw the line? They're like, no, 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 no. Where's the hymn? Like, we gotta put that right in the middle. <laughs> and we'll, we'll do all five verses if we have time for it, right? Like, what are we supposed to do? How do we make this work? I mean, this is like the pastor's worst nightmare when you have like a congregation that's so mixed that you're like, uh, what do we do, you know, right? If I do this, this group would be unhappy. If I do this, this group would be unhappy. Let's just make everybody unhappy. Then nobody will come to church. Like, what are we supposed to do? This is Paul's predicament right now. He's in the center of 
the epicenter of Jewishness, right, where they all believe strongly about the Bible, but he's been going around telling everybody that you don't need to follow all the rules, but now he's in here, he's asked to follow the rules, like, what am I supposed to do? And people might think that he's playing both sides, right? Like, when I'm here, I'll follow the rules. When I'm out there, I'll tell everybody you don't have, like, is there any consistency in Paul's life? What are you supposed to do? So this is what Paul does. The next day, Paul took the men and purified himself along with them. He's going along with the apostles' plan, right? Then he went to the temple to give notice of the date when, he, uh, when the days of purification would end and the offering would be made for each of them. Paul says, you know, I have all this money that I collected that I was going to give to you guys, but if you could tap into that, we could pay off the, the, the fees, <laughs> the offering you have to make, the money you have to pay in order to finish this, this vow. Now, what is Paul trying to do here? Is he compromising on the message that he's been preaching for the past four years? Or, I mean, is, does he have a, what is he trying to accomplish here? Here's a, another scholar, his name is Scott McKnight. This is what he says about this. He says, did Paul actually encourage Jewish believers not to observe Jewish laws? Like the accusation that's going around, is it actually true? Well, McKnight notices this, that Paul does not respond to these accusations. He doesn't say, uh-uh, we didn't do that. He doesn't deny it. But, in, but 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 23 was Paul's mission motto, and at times he must have crossed some boundary markers. What's 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 19 through 23? He basically says, in the name of Jesus, in the, way, in the name of loving on the people around me, when I am with Jews, I become a Jew. When I am with slaves, I become as one who is enslaved. When I am with people who are bounded under the law, I also become under the law. Right? When I'm with these people, I act like those people, like when in Rome kind of thing, right? And McKnight says, it is certain that when he was hanging out with Gentiles, he did break a lot of laws. Right? He crossed some lines that he'd never crossed before. So he continues, Paul seems to be in a no-win corner of conformity. And that's the key here. He's conforming to the ways of the people around him. Paul was a square peg for their round holes. To which you might be thinking this, isn't Paul being two-faced? Right, like, you know, I used to look up to Paul, but now I'm thinking that he's a, like, he, he just doesn't want to get, like, what, what is he trying, he's just trying to keep friends, right? But the problem here is that now, both worlds are colliding. It's kind of like if I was at UCLA, and I'm telling you, yeah, Bruins, baby blue and yellow all the way, and then I go to, like, USC, it's like, oh, it's about the, it's, it's Fight on, fight on, <laughs> right? <laughs> right, it's like that. And then one day, my friends from here and there, they come together and like, oh, hey, Kaz, I'm so glad that we're here in the presence of those Trojans. Go tell them, tell them, Kaz, how much, how much, of, uh, how much you bleed <laughs> blue and yellow. And it's like, well, I can't because um, I told them a different story. And then they're like, Kaz, I'm so glad you're here. Go tell those Bruins how much we're better than them. And I'm like, uh-oh, both worlds are colliding and now they know that I've been playing both sides, right? Is that what Paul's doing here? Have you guys been in that situation where you tell one story to one side and then you go to the other side and they're like, wait a minute, the worlds are colliding. Anyways, I've been there before. <laughs> but is Paul really playing both sides? No. He's not being two-faced because he's not like on one side saying, yeah, those guys over there, they don't have their act together. And they're not over here saying like, those people, yeah, they, they're totally messed up. Like he's not talking ill of the other side. He's just being with the people that he's with and he's conforming to their ways. So what is he really trying to do here? And back to that question, like, where is the perfect, where do we draw the line on the church? Like, where is the place where we can meet in the middle? Well, Paul actually talks about this. 
in a letter he writes to this group of people, this church in Rome, that had the exact same problem. There's these Jews and Gentiles and they were living together in the church and they just couldn't get, see eye to eye on a lot of things, right? So Paul writes a letter to them, letting them know what he would have done if he was in their situation. And pay attention to what he says here. This is groundbreaking in my opinion. One person considers one day more sacred than another. So we're talking about Jews here. They have special days. They call them holidays, right? They have Passover. That's really important to them, right? Another considers every day alike. That's the Gentiles. They're like, every day is the same. What is, what's a holiday, right? He's like, I see the, the tension that's in your group right now. And then he goes on to say, well, guess what? Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. It's like, do you realize that these Jews... When they're celebrating Passover or whatever holiday they're celebrating, they're doing that to worship God. So, like, let them do what they want to do, right? Then he moves over to this topic of food, because we can all relate to food. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God, and whoever abstains so, uh, does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. You see, Jews do not eat certain types of meat. They can't eat pork. That's part of their kosher law, right? Gentile Christians, they can eat wherever they want. And Paul says, I know there's a tension in your church right now. One side says we can eat all foods. The other side says you can't eat all foods. Guess what? When they abstain from eating certain foods, they're saying, I'm not going to eat this because this is how I worship you, God. But the Gentiles, the non-Jews, they're eating everything. I was like, oh, pork is so good. I love it. Oh, yeah, finger licking good. Jesus, I love you, right? Both sides are worshiping God in their own way. They're just doing it differently. So Paul says, guys, there is no middle ground to meet. This is not, the way that we worship is not by convincing the other side that they're wrong and they have to conform to your ways or the other way around. If you totally believe that what you're doing is for the Lord, let them do it. So he says, therefore, and for this reason, let us stop passing judgment on one another. So let's plug this into the church in Jerusalem. Just because they're not into Bible study as much as you are, you can't judge the other side and say, you're less of a Christian than we are. Just because one side cares more about purification rights than the other side doesn't mean that they love Jesus less, that they're loving on people less. So don't pass judgment on your brothers and sisters. And then he says, instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. Your job is to make sure that what you say and what you do doesn't make it harder for them to follow Jesus. It's already hard to follow Jesus in the first century. You're making it harder for them, so please stop. And then he says, let us, therefore, make every effort, do everything you can to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. You are here to build each other up not tear them down. Just because they're not doing it your way doesn't mean that they're wrong. So the question again, diagram, if this is a church and this is a Jew and this is a non-Jew, where is God in all this? Where does God want us to meet? Paul's argument is that's the wrong question. It's not where do you want us to meet? Where is the middle ground? What he's saying is this, God is on both sides. It's not an issue of if you come over to our side, you'll be closer to Jesus. Mm -mm. If you read the Bible more like us, if you follow the rules in the Bible like us, you'll be more Christ-like. Mm -mm. Paul's like, no. 
They do it their way, you do it your way, and you encourage each other. Hey, I love the way that you're eating every single thing on your plate. Man, that is awesome. You know, God must have given you the gift of, you know, not wasting any food or whatever. Hey, we just want to praise you and want to encourage you, and we want to say keep doing what you do because you obviously love Jesus. Hey, we see that you're following all these rules, and we just love your devotion to the book, the Old Testament laws. Hey, we might not believe in the same things that you do, but we both believe in Jesus, and I think you should keep doing what you're doing. Edify both sides. So, going back to this question, how does the church stick together when it is composed of massive diversity? Remember, diversity was a sign of strength for the church back then. Right? If everybody got together and everybody looked like each other and they did all the things, same things, people are not going to look at this and say, wow, what a miracle. They're going to say, look at there's male and female. There's master and, and slave. There's, there's Roman soldiers and there's like, do you guys know any circumstance? You should never be together and get along, but this diversity is proof that God is real. But now it's becoming their weakness because they couldn't get along. And so how does Paul resolve this tension? He says this, recognize that God is on both sides. You don't have monopoly on God. If you go to another church and you realize they're not worshiping like I, I'm used to, it doesn't mean that they're wrong, it doesn't mean you're wrong. It means that they are connecting to Christ in different ways, why? Because Christ is so big, God is so big. You think that God, you could put God in a little box and say this is the only way we could worship God? You go to other parts of the world. By the way, one of the biggest mistakes of American Christianity is that we think that we have the monopoly on Christianity. Like, we know how we're supposed to do Christianity. If you know your church history, you'll know that about a thousand years ago, a little over a thousand years ago, there was this big divide, and there was the Eastern Church and Western Church. The Western Church is the church, you know, the Protestant Church and the Catholic Church. We're the ones that put a lot of emphasis on the Bible. The Eastern Church, they put more emphasis on imagery. So if you go into their church, you'll see like images on the walls because back in those days, most people in the Eastern Church were illiterate. So they used images and incense, and they used sounds and you know uh, humming sounds, right? Because all these things and big tall buildings, because these images are the things that help them worship God because they couldn't read. To tell them that they're wrong in the way they've been connecting with God for the past thousand years, like it's like who are we to say that, right? Paul says you have to recognize that God is on both sides. You respect the other person. So if we were to like general this down to three lines, this is what it would be. When you're in church, see the diversity. And see it on the screen, there it is. See the diversity, right? Respect the diversity, because it's a good thing. And then appreciate the diversity. When you see somebody worshiping God differently than you, like in our context, it'll be like, there's people who just like worship God like this. And there's people who are like, yes, right? You see the difference, and you respect it, and say like, wow, that is so cool that their, their, the inner emotion is now being displayed in their body, and they're worshiping God with their full bodies. That is so cool, and appreciate it. And the other hand, when you're doing this, look over there and say, wow, they must be meditating really hard, or I don't know, right? <laughs> like, well, maybe they can't raise their arms because they have a cold shoulder. I don't know, right? But they're still here and they want to worship God and they're doing it and I'm flaming my arms and they're not disturbed by it. They're not distracted by it. They're still focused on Jesus. And just say, like, wow, this is cool. And there's so many different types of people with different backgrounds and they're still here together and that's the strength of the church. Amen? All right, now one more last thing before I go on because I want to set up for the next part of the series. There is a lot of danger 
in appreciating both sides. And you're gonna discover that when Paul plays both sides, it only led to his persecution and it made it more dangerous in the eyes of the people who are either on one side or the other side only. So I just wanna let you know, while I'm here saying see, respect, and appreciate, it could also be a very dangerous thing to do. Just want you guys to know that. So let's pray.